as part of the attempt of uh, spreading COVID-19 awareness. I'm pleased to welcome uh, consultant ENT and head neck robotic surgeon, the very accomplished Dr. Sanjeev Badwar. Uh, Doc, I hope the family and you are safe and healthy and uh, you're one of the frontline workers. So it's very important for us uh, to ask you that question. How are you? Good afternoon. And uh, yes, it's been a trying time, but uh, I mean, all of us are hanging in there and uh, all the healthcare workers in Mumbai are putting their best foot forward. Wonderful. Doc, just as we were battling the COVID-19 wave, all of a sudden we've started hearing about these cases of people who have recovered from COVID-19, actually gone back home even, and then being brought back into hospital for treatment and emergency procedures for black fungus. And it's almost as though panic has gripped civil society. What really is black fungus? Okay, you see, the first thing is the black fungus is actually not the black fungus. The black fungus is a different variety of fungus, which has melanin, black pigment in the spores. What is currently happening is something which is caused by a species called mucorales, which by its effect causes dead tissue, dead sediment, which is blackish. That's why the colloquial term black fungus. So what is happening is the patient has COVID. Some of them battle it in ICU, hospitals, rake up huge bills. And just when there's a glimmer of hope and they feel they're getting well, here you have something called the black fungus, which is really taking a toll. What really are the signs and symptoms that people need to look for so that they can ring the alarm bells, red flag it, and bring it to the attention urgently of their medical practitioner, please? Thank you. That's an excellent question. You see, in medicine, treatment is expensive. So the old adage, prevention is better than cure, always holds true. So I would urge patients who have recovered from COVID, be it mild COVID, to watch out for swelling around the eyes, redness of the eyes, a slow, gradual diminution of the acuity of vision, sometimes limitation of movement of the eyes, nasal congestion, nasal discharge, headache, sometimes cranial nerve paralysis, cough. If you open the mouth at times, you may have a blackish discoloration of the palate, loosening of the teeth, dental pain, and sometimes cough, low-grade fever, and blood tinge sputum. These are the signs one needs to watch out for. But one shouldn't wait too long if you've had COVID and after a while, you're having headaches, nasal congestion, or even a catarrh and eye pain. Because you see, the sinuses are between the eyes, behind the eyes, and above the eyes. So when the sinuses are involved, you may have pain around the eyes. So if you have any of these symptoms, please reach out to your medical care practitioner. Doc, it's very easy and most people who do not have comorbidities just sweep it under the carpet saying, ah, COVID-19, ah, black fungus, these are only, you know, diseases that will afflict those with comorbidities. And uh, that's not entirely true all of the time. So I'd like you to now address who are at risk. If it is all sections of society, then so be it. If it is more particularly people with comorbidities, let's address that. Okay. So firstly, even someone who's had mild COVID can get the fungus. That's the first point. Secondly, people who are at risk are usually those with diabetes, which is not well controlled. Those who have been exhibited to extremely high doses of steroids, prolonged ICU stay, and people who have some form of malignancies, who are immune compromised, who've undergone transplants, they are the subsets at risk. How do you diagnose this condition, doc? Okay, so the first step is a high index of suspicion. That is someone who's had COVID. So careful 
history and examination is extremely important. And here it has to be an actual, not a virtual examination. You examine the nose with the help of a nasal endoscope. You check out if there are any debris, any discharge that is taken for a swab for, a, for an examination called the KOH mount and fungal culture. In addition, we do scans, a CT scan or an MRI with contrast. And now there's a new test called the PCR test, which is done with nasal scraping. People who have cough and who have blood-stained sputum sometimes may have to undergo a bronchoscopy for a bronchial lavage, which is again checked for fungal elements. So when all these are collated, we can arrive at a quick diagnosis. Is this particular condition something we discovered only in the second wave, Doc? Because I didn't really hear any talk of mucor, any talk of black fungus when the first wave of COVID-19 hit us. Would you give us just the advent and, and a bit of history? You see, see, the black fungus, as they call it, was first described in 1876 by a German researcher called Farbinger. In the pre-COVID days, we would see in a tertiary retral hospital, maybe one or two patients in a year. Last year, we did see a couple of cases in the first wave. But yes, this time it has caught us by surprise. Doc, is this fungus prevalent normally around us in our environment so that we can be a little careful? That's an excellent question. You see, Rishi, the first thing is that this is prevalent indoors, outdoors, everywhere. And one needn't be afraid of it or wary of it because it does not harm you. In a normal situation, if you have an injury on the road or maybe on a horse track, uh, stables, farms, so sometimes a cutaneous injury, you can get a fungus infection. But normal day-to-day -day life, this does not affect you unless you're immune compromised, high diabetes. So it is prevalent in the atmosphere, but in a normal state, it does not affect you. In the COVID state, what happens is there are high levels of iron in the body, which enable the fungus to grow. And the COVID-19 per se causes thrombosis and clotting of the blood vessels, which destroys tissue. So you have a unique milieu where there is tissue death, oxygen concentrations, high iron, and there the fungus grows. That's how you get this. Who should treat this? That's the next logical question that I can think of. All right. So the fungus is treated by a team. All large hospitals like us have what we call a mucor response team, which is headed by our infectious diseases specialist who guides us along with ENT, neurology, neurosurgery, endocrine, extremely important to handle your blood sugar levels. And all these patients have recovered from COVID. They have weak lungs. Sometimes, you know, their vital capacity is very poor. So herein comes the critical care specialist, your chest specialist, and very important, when we take these patients off for surgery, you need a good team in anesthesia. So basically, targeted surgery with medical management. That's the way it goes. You actually preempted my next question, which is really, how is this treated? So you're saying, you know, you identify the problem, you create your battery or your team of experts and then deal with it accordingly. Just a heads up, since he mentioned hospital facilities, Dr. Sanjeev Badwar is currently head ENT services of the KDAH. That's the Kukila Ben Dhirubhai Ambani Hospital. Can we cure this? The all-important question that everybody is asking. All right. So I just elaborate further on my previous answer. So 
you know when you sure. do imaging you have a picture of where the disease is and normally we divide it into mild moderate severe or disseminated so that gives you a treatment plan and the treatment is to remove as much of dead tissue as there is because there is a clear demarcation between tissues which are not viable and which are healthy so you want to take that out that's one so you know the, your surgery may vary from very simple endoscopic sinus surgery to advanced skull base surgeries sometimes it, it it affects the eye and the vital organs and goes across to the uh, to uh, to the brain so various complex surgeries are performed and after that medical management comes in for a period of 4 to 6 weeks in terms of cure uh, this has a very high mortality rate of around 40 to 50% but if picked up early this can be salvaged doctor you know i like to do my essential reading before i step into a, a discussion with you and uh, early this morning i was going through an article written by the bbc where they've actually said an antifungal intravenous in- injection costs on an average 3500 rupees which is 48 us dollars a dose has to be administered every day for up to 8 weeks is the only drug effective thus far against this disease and they're seeing a lot of traction as far as that is concerned uh, on m- mucormycosis your thoughts on that because uh, topmost in most people's minds patients in particular is is treatment expensive yes treatment is extremely expensive the drug of choice is called liposomal amphotericin b and you know it's uh, it's nice to hear that sometimes in the early 2000 the drug license from the pharmaceutical company gilead passed so there was a indian who hailed from a very small town in karnataka who joined the company the indian company and developed a process to manufacture it in india so that's one so the main thing is you see the wonderful the production cycle takes time so it's not easy for the manufacturers suddenly to ramp up production so that would take time and efforts are on the drug is extremely expensive it's uh, in the initial stage almost 30000 plus per day for a period of 4 to 6 weeks there's uh, another alternative but that has various side effects so it's not easy to use but step 2 step 3 drugs are available which are available in the injection and the tablet form called isoconazole and posoconazole but all these medicines are expensive in the intensive phase they're given for a period of 4 to 6 weeks and depending on the response and the severity this may go on for 1 to 2 months but currently we are facing an acute shortage of liposomal amphotericin b and we're using alternative drugs yeah you know there have been so many reports of people going and trying to buy off the counter even with prescriptions but uh, chemists and pharmacies actually turning them away and saying they don't have this and can you get an, an alternative now you you know how it is in an era of of whatsapp news and so many uh, chinese whispers floating around we've actually had people turning around and saying oh my god this fungus is found in soil and the earth maybe i should stop gardening and spending time in my plants for some time let's bust some myths about the black fungus please okay so the first myth mucorrhils are not black fungus black fungus is a different category of fungi having melatonin in the cell wall next mucormycosis is not contagious it does not spread from one person to another so please take it easy and don't panic the other thing which is spreading around whatsapp messages and all that it does not spread by oxygenation humidification humidification or water so all those messages about the quality of water and all please 
a lot of work is going into it. People are doing a lot of research and there's no evidence currently to suggest that it spreads through use of oxygen, humidifiers and water which may not be clean. These fungi are present in your normal atmosphere, both indoors and outdoors, and normally it does not affect you. Prevention. What can we do at an individual day-to-day living level that will help us, you know, uh, not contract this particular uh, disease? Yeah. So prevention is better than cure, as I spoke about earlier. So the first step is, one, people who are suffering from COVID-19 and who are either quarantined at home or in the hospital and maintaining oxygen on room air should not preferably be given steroids. However, the treating physician, of course, has the last say on that. But this is a gen- just a general kind of, of advice that someone who's otherwise normal and maintaining oxygenation with a normal at room air should not be given steroids. The dose of steroids should be modulated. Very high doses should not be given unless deemed absolutely necessary uh, by the treating team. And the duration should be limited. We heard of patients taking very high doses for a month or two. So all these things are essential. And if you have diabetes or post-COVID or during your treatment, you're found to have high blood sugars, you need to make sure that your sugar levels are controlled. Apart from that, good hygiene, wearing masks, keeping yourself clean. And it's very important if you suffer from COVID and you've gone home, you need to follow up with your doctor. Even if you don't have any, uh, any problems, just go for a general checkup saying, doctor, I've had COVID. I just want a general checkup. So they will check the nose. They will check the eyes, the palate, your, uh, your lung, vital capacity. So this follow-up is extremely important. And uh, if something is there, we can pick it up early and control it. Is that also a strong message that you'd like to send out to medical practitioners as well as uh, medical facilities that when you discharge a patient uh, after his recovery or her recovery from COVID-19, make sure that if they have those comorbidities, manage the diabetes before letting go of them. Is that a strong message you also want to send out? Absolutely. Manage your diabetes if you have it. Monitor it carefully. Be in touch with your medical care practitioner and don't panic. There is a cure at hand, but we have to pick it up early. My last question deals with, you know, teams of physicians, surgeons going in, if it were to be tackled surgically. Now, we've heard of cases of middle-aged people with diabetes, you know, being afflicted by the black fungus, having to go in for emergency procedures, whereby, you know, an eye surgeon is called in to remove the eye, uh, very unfortunately, because the, the fungus has spread till there. And also, you know, ENT surgeons coming in, working in tandem with them, trying to remove uh, you know the fungus from the ENT area but you're saying it's you need not necessarily have that many surgeons in, in the room I'd like you to explain that please see uh, that's an excellent question you see basically there's a team at work and as medicine and surgery go uh, once the scanning is done you may have you have a treatment plan so essentially uh, the surgical team is led by an ENT with an head neck training so if there is a sinus problem that is tackled, if the upper jaw is involved, uh, we conduct a, a procedure called maxillectomy. If it's going on towards the nervous system, a skull-based procedure is involved. Here, the neurosurgeon comes in. If the eye is involved, uh, this can be done both ways, depending on the facilities. An ENT head neck surgeon can do the excentration or an oculoplastic surgeon can be part of the team. But it depends on 
you know, the kind of hospital you're working in and the facilities. In the past couple of months, we've had to do at least seven to eight excentrations of the eye, which is painful because, you know, apart from battling COVID, battling the fungus, if you lose an organ, albeit a non-operational one, it is trying. So sometimes these patients need a lot of counseling. But we always tell them that we have excellent oculoplastic surgeons in the city. And even if they do lose an eye, prosthetics are at hand, which give you a near natural look. Uh, Dr. Sanjeev Badwar, consultant ENT and head neck robotic surgeon, thank you so much for speaking with me. And uh, I wish for you uh, great safety and good health. And thank you for all the wonderful work you do. Bye-bye. Thank you. Have a good day.